So we're going to pretend like, well, it doesn't matter. We've been going through a lot of technical difficulties. Randy's been so graceful to kind of hang out with us. I apparently he has nothing better to do. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so we have Mr. Randy Noah all the way from Texas where the sun is still shining and the stars at night are big and bright. Um, we usually have fake claps in here, but we'll add that in later. Uh, Randy, thank you for joining us and thank you for being patient um, this evening. Uh, let's just start off by go ahead. Kind of, I usually tell people kind of introduce yourself. Um, how long you've been drifting? What got you into drifting? Just kind of give us a little spiel about yourself. Uh, I'm Randy Noah. I'm 29 years old. I've been drifting for about, it's over a decade. I think it's about 12, 13 years now. Um, I initially got into this because of my brother and, uh, like Forza Motorsports and Xbox and trying to play video games. And we kind of like built the whole, we like racing thing. And then slowly actually introduced into cars. So that's kind of where the bug bit me was because of my brother. Okay. So, so those of you, those are the people that know you, they know, um, uh, your car, right. And they know the breathe free logo on it. And they know most of the people that know you already know the story behind, um, the car. Can you give us a little more? Those people that maybe not don't have never met you before, or just seeing you for the first time, a little bit more in depth on what inspired that build. Okay, so the car that you guys see me drive primarily is the Purple S14. Um, the Purple S14 came about probably when I was about 17 years old, 16 years old. My brother traded his Ford Focus for a stock like Project S14. And he, like, slowly but gradually started to do little changes to it. He started to do, like, fenders and just cleaning it up, trying to make it look nice. And, uh, unfortunately, in 2014, he passed away. Um, so the build kind of came to a halt a little bit before that. And it was always the intention to kind of get the car to where he wanted it or where he envisioned it. And at that point in time is kind of when we, uh, kind of when I decided that, okay, it's really time to execute this and make it happen because now it's kind of a memorial thing and it's following through with his wishes so the build uh began as a rb20 kind of a daily setup so i took the engine out of my personal s14 and put it into his car then i started drifting it a little bit and trying to do like little fun events and just kind of uh, progressively building the car as it went um and just over time, it's it's just become to what it is now. But it was the car that my brother and I learned how to drive manual in. It was our first drifting experience. We met up with, we got to meet a whole bunch of uh, friends that basically led to where we are now. Um, introduced us into, not that it's good to say, street drifting. Street mm -hmm. drifting was a real big thing back then, but... Um, we got into street drifting and going into warehouses and hanging out with friends and just having a good time all together. And that kind of transpired to me growing to where I am now. It's just been a, a surrounding myself with people with like minds and just kind of the right yeah. mindsets. I remember, uh, I think when I first started like really like trying to watch you when you drive is when you were just constantly trying to do the 360 entries at PBIR. I guess that was like the biggest is like every time he's trying to go, yeah. it's like, who is that? I was Randy. I was like, Oh, okay. Randy. Um, uh, but I think yeah. that was something that a lot of people remember about you. At least when I talk to people, they always remember you at PBIR. Yeah. The three sixties was kind of, uh, me trying to have fun and experiment and like try and reach the next level that I wasn't at before. And 360s, I think at that time no. wasn't a very common thing. Yeah, like now it's like if you do a 360, it's kind of like ah, oh, they're they're like there goes that guy. <laughs> but the first time I did it, I was like, okay, this is really cool because like I would do it so it like linked into the turn, or I'd like try and make it as fluent as possible without looking like you know trying to survive, mm -hmm. make it through the turn. Yeah, but yeah, that was that was my. I idea think one time I don't know, maybe I'm thinking it wrong you tried to do like well, two six w720 <laughs> could have sworn this oh yeah 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 there i mean everyone at that time was like oh 360 sick and like 
everyone would talk about it for a little bit. And then I was like, I'm going to try and go a little bit more. So I'm trying to go faster and just really just try to keep it going because, like, it started making sense. And, like, it, it was just me building car control ultimately. But yeah. What do you think? Yeah. 720. That was in yeah, there. You got to learn how to, like, do 360s all the way around the whole entire track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's a good idea. Hey, uh, so let me ask you something. What was your first um, competition? first competition was actually so it wasn't an official it wasn't like a real big thing it was um chris jackson's event at the was it at the usdc oh, at the stadium or was it at the um okay yes yes it was at the stadium it was at the stadium i think the same event where it got rained out at night for yeah. the tandem side so the I was in the solo class. Okay. Right. Because right, I didn't have Yeah, because yeah, he would do two competitions at the same time. Okay. So did you think that yeah. doing that first competition um, was – walking away from the first competition, did you leave that competition thinking, listen, I got to get a cage. I want to get more serious into it? Or was it just kind of like, oh, I'm going to do this for fun and, and just whatever? Um, I think at that time I was still in the having fun mindset. Um, I was driving with like kind of the, because it was a solo class, I was driving with the amateur division. So it was more like people like me. So, you know, I, I drove and I did my best and I didn't like feel like I was like getting really stressed out. I was just out there having fun, doing my best. And I think in that event, I got second, I got second in that event and yeah, I got second on that event and Gabe yeah. Morales yeah, 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 with yeah, automatic yeah, BMW. Yeah. He ended up taking first. I would have technically got the win for first place on that one because on his run when he was going to go, his car mm. shut off. But because I don't like to win by technicality or anything like that, I told them mm. to allow him to do a rerun. Then they ran. Then he did his run and he uh, ended up doing a better run okay. than I did. So interesting. Yeah. Um. Let me ask, well, no, because you know, because uh, when you said technicality, and I was going to get your opinion on something else, but maybe, maybe I'll push that off for nah, what the heck? Yeah, so, speaking of technicalities, <laughs> speaking of technicalities, what do you think about the whole Chelsea Nofa and and uh Stuky thing that happened with the you know hood bobbling? And it was technically trying to, um, well, they did, they forced him to go around one more time, right? Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so, like, I understand both perspectives, but from a personal standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I wouldn't be the one to protest a call like that. Uh, that's like, so in Clutch Kickers, one of the real big things was, you know, panel opening as well. And at one point, they started getting to the point where it was like, if your gas cap opens, you get a zero. So I had to like, yeah. So, like, I had to like duct tape my, my cap to, you know. To make sure it would stay shut, and my trunk to make shut to make sure it was sh- shut. I did everything I could to make sure it was gonna work, even though it, like worked. But mm-hmm. you know, I feel like if I was in the same situation and 10k is on the line and a gas cap opens up and clutch kickers, I'm not gonna try and win a protest because of that mm-hmm. situation. Right. Even though I've done everything I can on my side to make sure it's all good, shit happens, and I'm I'm not going to try and win on a call like that. You know, something so, eh. yeah, yeah. There's a word. There's a word for that. Um, Chelsea used quite a few times in that video, but <laughs> but um, uh, I, I like straight up. Yeah, battles. yeah. I like straight up battles. <laughs> if I fly off track, you know it is what it is. But like, you know, if 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 my gas cap opened up and it got protested. I'm gonna be like, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> on the yeah. trailer. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I could see that. I could see that. All right, so so enough about that. Um, so All now right. coming up to, did you do any like big competitions before Clutch Kickers? Um, honestly, it was only really the U.S. Drift Circuit stuff that I was involved in. Clutch Kickers was my first competition that I drove that actually had. More weight too. Yeah, yeah. Because when you came when you came up to clutch kickers, 
it was like still my favorite battle of all time clutch kickers is you versus Alec. That's still my like all time favorite battle. That was, um, looking back at clutch kickers, huh? That was. No, I'm saying that. that yeah, I think that was yeah, it was season two. two. Yeah, I think yeah. So yeah. look, looking back at clutch kickers, what do you think you learned from clutch kickers? Unfortunately, it's not around anymore. But what do you think that did for you as a driver? Um, so the first time I went out there, I kind of went with the open mindset of, you know, let's, let's see what we got. Let's see what we can do. And it really opened my eyes to kind of the competition mindset where everything is, you're forced to drive at a higher level than what you're capable of. In some instances, you know, you're not going to just have an easy path all the way to the top. So, um, in the first actual competition that i drove at clutch kickers i ended up beating my top 64 i think i qualified like number 40 or something i qualified really low and then i ended up beating my first 64 battle and my 32 battle was going to be mike pollard Mm. and you know how mike pollard was and i had known him for years i had known of of him for years so i knew he was you know, kind of like David and Goliath mm-hmm. kind of thing. I knew he was something that was not going to be an easy battle for me. So that forced me to push harder than I ever had before. And ultimately, me finding a new boundary uh, within my driving. So every bit of competition that I did improved in me, like mentally or just finding my limits. Yeah. Yeah. We saw a huge, from, huge difference from when you first started at Clutch Kickers. And then just working your way through, and it was very exciting to watch. And especially, we're of course rooting for you because originally you were from West Palm. Now you're living in Texas. Um, was he part of that yep. West Palm? We were, we, were trying we were trying your band, West Palm Beach. Yeah. that was part of that. Yeah, crew. yeah, I was. In yeah, I still don't know why. Yep. I, I, I still don't know why. So, so he actually <laughs> he left West Palm Beach because he didn't want to be banned anymore. Yeah. Uh, Where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a long story. Okay. Yeah, All right, we'll 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 let yeah, that we'll, we'll let, leave that alone. So anyhow, you you definitely gained a lot of experience in clutch kickers. Like you said, it pushed you further as a driver. What did you learn? As okay, driving is one thing, but there's so much more than just driving. Were you were you or are you still trying to develop a program for yourself? Yeah. So ultimately, right now, I'm in the position to try and keep growing but i'm also trying to like get a path that makes sense where i'm not burying myself in a hole financially like i need to do a couple of things before i focus back on it so like i'm trying to do like a couple of grassroots events and not push so much for competition because it's not local anymore now i'm trying to even though uh the pro-am is local now it's kind of one of those things where to big financial aspect so i'm like kind of in the building stage to get to that point um so that's why this whole move happened and that's why i'm in this position now to try and grow to be in a better position for the future because i've always dreamt of i want to do competition drifting or just be able to go where i see all my friends go you know just across the u.s drifting different tracks or fly over to japan and drive in japan just I want to be able to do that and that's what I'm aiming to do. Yeah. I want to live that live that drifting dream. Um yeah. so are you still driving the S14 cuz I know you did make a switch over to the E46 which I want to talk about in a minute but do you did you bring that car over there with you or is that still over is that over here? So the S14 is still in Florida. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you just set the, E46. The E46 is in Florida as oh. well. That's with Charles. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So I have nothing here. <laughs> I have just a sandwich over there. <laughs> so like, I'm I'm just in an apartment right now. So this, like I said, this is me building to try and get into a better future to make everything more feasible. Um, yeah, the 240 is still in Florida, and the BMW is with Charles. Uh, so the BMW is basically both of our car, but it's his car. You know what I mean, okay. we. We both drive it. Um, we built it with the intention of me doing competition in it. Uh, so that's why the third season of Clutch Hickers, I was driving it. And it was still on that building aspect, so it was pure chaos. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
yeah it's uh it's that that was the purpose for me to have a competition car without putting the S14 at risk. So so what prompted the choice of going to so you chose a different um power plant than most would probably have chosen and I'm sure that yes. came with uh some challenges. So what is the actual motor you decided to put in there and why? So the engine is a VR6 out of a Volkswagen GT or Volkswagen R32. Uh, it's probably one of the most known ones. It's a um, six cylinder, very compact, good displacement, a lot of aftermarket support on the drag racing side, not so much on the drifting side. So um, there was a person who basically ran that engine in an S14 as a drag car. And so he made an adapter plate for a CD09. So when that happened, that kind of opened the possibility for creating a drift car with the CD09 and, and using that platform. Uh, Charles saw that opportunity, since he's a Volkswagen guy or, or Euro kind of uh, mm-hmm. Volkswagen just in general. He had parts already and kind of had an arsenal okay. of components, and we just built from that and kept going and ended up with the VR6. Okay. Okay. So there was some incentive there because you had somebody with the knowledge of the motor and some parts. Um, what are some, what's, what do you think yeah. the biggest challenge with that engine um, has been for you guys? Honestly, the engine has been great. The first rendition, um, so the engine was built to the car and this was a engine that doesn't come dry sump and it comes with an oil pump that sits on the bottom of the engine and with the uh like rear wheel drive configuration that meant the oil pump is going to interfere with the crossbow so we had to do a dry sump setup and we had to do a lot of custom fabrication to make it work in the car um but that being said after the fabrication part was done we had low oil pressure uh, that was due to a oversight in the oiling passages uh, due to the dry sump. We're deleting a lot of the OEM components, so we had to go and figure out where it was being lost within the engine, and we ended up finding it and revising that in the version 2 of the engine. But mechanically speaking, the engine itself is strong, and there's nothing that it can't handle for the most part. From a stock perspective, it's almost like a Volkswagen Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a lot of capability. and You can see it all day in the uh, front-wheel drive drag racing communities. Okay. So what? how about now? So you got a different uh, power plant working through that, Bugs, but now you're also changing to a whole different chassis. How is it going from the S14 to the E46? So the initial setup was a coilover that was not set up right it was like what would in a divorce or a, a coil over setup on a bmw um normally bmw's the divorce setup mm-hmm. so you have the spring and bucket and you have the coil the, the shock separate we went with a true coil over setup and that basically um meant going with a higher value or a lower value and when we ended up putting it on the car it was, was almost like on oh, pogo okay. sticks so it didn't really make sense. So the first time I drove it, we drove it with this setup as is because we were building the car all the way up to mm-hmm. the first event that we drove it. And our first lap on the car mm-hmm. was at the track right. during practice. So that was mm-hmm. insanity. Um, but for the most part, the car felt good. It felt actually better than the S14 because we took a lot of information that we have learned from the past from either 240 or the bmw or from building the 240 and just over time things that we've experienced and seen other people do and applied it to our car and so the bmw was ultimately a final product of experience if okay i'm going to take competition aside right okay but if i got four different uh drifting techniques i guess you can call them if you had to eliminate one of these techniques and you were not allowed to use them anymore out of these four, which one would it be? Would it be 
get rid of the e-brake. No more clutch kicking. No left foot braking. And wait, what was the last one? Oh, uh, you have to run with um, tire spec tire pressure. So like if it says 40 on the tire, you got to run 40. Tire, on that's a weird one. Well, you got to say it. If you had to drop, if, if you weren't allowed to do one of those four. Well, the tire one what, would be the one you would do. You would, you would, yeah. you would keep that? Yeah. No, I would. I don't know. Well, let him answer. Let him answer. Because I mean, 40 PSI on tires kind of sucks. Especially, well, actually, yeah, including competition. There you go. Because that's major in competition. You're not either not allowed to use your e-brake. You're not allowed to mess with your tire pressures. You're not allowed to kick the clutch, or you're not allowed to left foot brake. So I would get rid. I would get rid of tire pressure adjustment at that point. Okay. Because okay. now everyone's on the same playing field, right? Mm-hmm. Now right. clutch kicking is going to be based on engine. Turbo cars are going to struggle to make the power on a mm-hmm. throttle punch, so you need to right. clutch kick. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, V8s, they can just gas it and it lights off. Um, using the e-brake, sometimes you need to float, sometimes you need to slow down behind someone, which you can do with left foot, but everything is kind of a modulation of mm-hmm. everything at once. So it, ultimately, tire pressure would be the least intrusive for me, and I think for a majority of the field, because now, okay. now you're relying on compound and it not falling apart. You know, If everyone's at the tire spec of 40, or okay. whatever the tire calls out for, everyone Valid. on the same playing field. Yeah. yeah. I think what would inspire this is because I, sometimes I watch videos and I'll see people run the skid pad at o, OSW. And maybe it's just because I didn't learn with an e-brake. When I was learning, I, I never, I didn't have an e-brake. And I like Noriaro. Um, I uh, like to watch his videos a lot. And okay. he hit, does some high-speed entries and he doesn't use an e-brake either. For me, like... I guess I sometimes uh, they'll pull like 20, 30 times around the OSW skid pad. And I'm just like, what are you doing? I mean, do you really need to use it that much? Yeah. Maybe you do. What do you, I don't know. Draw me uh, so I feel like there's a time and place for it. Um, if you're doing a lead run, you very seldomly use the e-brake. Um, if you're doing a lead run, you can use it as a, just a very slight, quick pull to settle the car, kind of make it flat slide instead of, um, kind of closing in the arc. Uh, that's where I would use it. If you're chasing behind someone, you can use it to clutch in and throttle in and just kind of float the car and ready to light off again. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lot of hand movements there. but um, And yeah, I think people who maybe overly use the e-brake aren't understanding the concept of left foot braking. Which, mm-hmm. yeah. if you have a solid lead run in front of you, it's easier to left foot brake behind them because mm-hmm. you have a consistent line to follow. But if you have someone that's kind of back and forth on the angle or slowing down or just kind of lifting off throttle where they're not supposed to, you're going to have to check up on e-brake where if you're on the left foot brake, you could just basically mm-hmm. skip the front tires and still run into them. So yeah, it's, I think e-brake is a necessity, but it should not be overused. Yeah. I think all techniques should be used at once. And that should be like the idea for all drivers in my head mm-hmm. would be to be able to use all the tools available to you mm-hmm. and not just only use one. Okay. That's like using a hammer for everything. Well, I mean, you could do that. <laughs> or everything is a hammer. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, wash my windows with a hammer. Watch, yeah. you watch me. Yes. <laughs> All right, so so anyways, they don't, they, they're they're I don't know they can they can they don't have words they don't I, know how to I, use. I'm still trying to get what's your back. what's your biggest memory of Randy Noah? Biggest memory, um, just riding along with him at PBIR. Oh, okay. and this was back oh, when yes. he had the RB20, and he's like, "Oh, uh, I've been trying out some things." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> all right, let's see what how this goes." And then he's just after the big sweeper on turn ten, he's like, "Look, look, no more power, no more power." This has been telling me like I've been needing an engine swap for like years now. No more power, can't go any faster. Look, there's no more power. I'm like, okay, I think you should stop at some point. It's like, but I'm telling you, there's no more power. Pay attention. I'm like, okay, I get it. Can you study? He's like, all right, hold on. And then he does the thing, and I'm like. <laughs> this guy's a lunatic. Like, can somebody give him a new engine for crying out loud already. <laughs> but yeah, that that was uh, yeah. perhaps one of my biggest memories, my fondest memories of him. But, uh, yeah, other than that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that. 
I remember that. That was a good time. We were probably going like, I think the RB was capable of going like 80 to 90 down that <laughs> straight. And that's when we were like clutch kick entering. So swinging right, mm-hmm. swinging left. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben was just like, <laughs> <laughs> we're all going home for the ride. Well, oh, are you, are you going to fly? Are you going to try? You didn't. Are you going to try to do any of the U.S. Um, Drift Circuit Pro-Am stuff over here, or are you just going to... I would probably, honestly, at the moment, aim for a uh, like a 50K shootout okay. before I aim for U.S. Drift Circuit right now because of the fact that even if I got a license, which is not feasible now right. because it's so far into the series, but even if I got a license, I wouldn't be ready to mm-hmm. use it. So... Uh, a 50k shootout like link ECUs would make more sense okay. to me. I mean, do you have an event plan that you're going to be doing soon? Uh, this year, not at the moment, um, but conditions could change. You know, it's we have the ability to, we have the truck and the trailer mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but it's just kind of a financial thing now. Uh, obviously, going to these competitions, you need a lot of tires, so that's one of the biggest expenses. So it's just kind of. Um, Make it do with mm-hmm. what we have okay. right now. So the local stuff to get good media and good driving content, this is kind of what we're aiming for at the moment, or what I'm trying to do at the moment. That way we can stay current with what's going on and also like keep the car kind of out mm-hmm. there. Did Well, looking back at uh, Clutch Figures, I remember asking you what was wrong with the car, because I would see it being worked on and then you mentioned how you were having issues with half shafts did you ever end up uh figuring out like a a solution for that or did you just kind of roll with it and kind of see what you what you could figure out along the way i guess so i can give you a whole series of how it started from from start to finish on all the problems we had on the car you want me to do that? Well, it's got to um, it's got it's got to be faster than taking off the bolt from the Jay Z. So, <laughs> oh, man, you're really gonna poke the fun out. <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. He knows. I mean, it, it was, that was a painful experience, but it can't be any longer than that. that. Was. The bolt came out fine. It was just getting the uh, getting, getting, getting the, the crank off. Yeah, getting the crank pulled off. Yeah, getting the pulley off. Oh my god, that, that was like a viral video for you, huh? <laughs> Three or four days. And it's viral among our community. That's what's funny. It's like it's not like everyone knows about it. It's like all of my friends and all of my followers <laughs> who like mm-hmm. I know are like, hey, look at this pulley. <laughs> <laughs> I'll touch base on it. I had a pulley that would not come off the engine. It spent three days. I ended up having to cut it off. I used hydraulic pullers, fire, everything that I could. It would not come off. Had to use a hydraulic uh, had to use a cutoff wheel, cut it off finally came off in like 14 pieces that was the most like i documented that on my instagram yeah no it's one of the best it's like one of the best uh mechanic stories that i've ever seen like if you haven't seen it you you gotta you gotta go to randy's instagram and check he's got it pinned up there and just watch the 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 different segments feel the frustration like you could like everybody's been there there. everybody's been there whether it's the that the the crank pulley or i mean did you ever stop to consider just getting another engine <laughs> Honestly, I considered putting it back together and just running it as yeah. it was. The front main seal was leaking. I was like, you know, nah, you can just put more oil in fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it started coming off in pieces. And then there's no turning back. Well, let, 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 circle back to the yeah. E46 and uh, and half shaft issues right. or whatever. E46. First round, everything was pretty good. That was our first time driving the car the only issue we had was the car was kind of sluggish because we didn't have the variable timing and we didn't have nitrous so the second round we came out we had nitrous uh with that nitrous that was when we started blowing up axles the power started to come in pretty smooth and then the nitrous would hit and it started breaking axles so we Mm. we kind of built like a conservative like financial side to it. So we were running 330i axles, oh, okay. which are not strong mm-hmm. at all. 330i axles and 330i differential 
Um, we went through four axles in that one Ooh, weekend. Jeez. Okay. And one half stub or whatever from the differential. Mm-hmm. Third event, we went out. We had the nitrous and we had an M3 rear end. So stronger axles, stronger differential, everything was good. The third event, I was driving, and the M3 rear end is kind of a lower uh, ratio, gear ratio, so it's very long. So the power that was hitting was very slow to like kind of reach its peak because the wheel speed needs to mm-hmm. ramp up. Um, and during this time was the time that we had the engine that still had low oil pressure. Mm-hmm. So with the low oil pressure and the high load, we ended up basically eating through the bearings and ended up getting, uh, getting like a rod. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of that third event. Fourth event was when everything was squared away. We had a new engine. Uh, we had uh, the M3 rear end on. We had nitrous. We had VVTI now. Uh, so we took the car to the dyno with Freddie. Freddie, uh, you know, his first time working with this engine. He's been there from the start with us. And, you know, we, we kind of figured this engine out and what it likes and how much fuel and kind of the, the, the setup that it likes. And everything was uh, solid, you know. So we had this engine making the power that nitrous was adding before with just variable timing. Mm. And then we added nitrous on top of it. So instead of making like 450 or 500, now we're making 650 Mm. and, you know, around that range. So the nitrous was just kind of like a spooler at that point with just the UTI kind of taking over. Um, So the engine was very dialed with the proper oil pressure and all that stuff. So we were ready for this fourth round. And then I got canceled. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's a shame. Uh, yeah. You know, don't know what the future holds. A lot of rumors around yep. there. I guess uh, time will tell. Mm. Yeah, it was unfortunate for everyone. So I, you know, it is what it is. It was just kind of a a bummer to end the series that way. But you know, we'll we'll come out at some point and and really put it to mm-hmm. use. What what rear end did you end up going with? Uh, an aftermarket or um, some sort of OEM upgraded part? I think M three, right? So you just so it's a yeah, it's a it's an M three. Hmm. So it's just a stock M three rear yeah, end. Stock rear M three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one of our buddies, uh, one of our buddies that is part of the crew. You know, we all kind of came together and got that at mm-hmm. the time. Because he's gonna end up using it after we're done with it, because we're gonna go with the eight point eight. Oh, that's what Tim. So that's, that's what Tim like, did. That's like in the future. Yeah, that's that's yeah. That's 8.8. what I have in my car. That yeah. seems legit. Makes the full kit, the full swap kit. Um, so yeah. I have this. But we're we're capable of doing it too. Yeah, yeah I have, I have Jackson fitted the rear end, so we'll see how that works out. But I have a, <laughs> I have the seam legit axles though, so I should be good on the seam legit axles. Yeah. I'm still paying them off. I'm, I financed them, um, but. Uh, yeah, we'll see how that works out. But yeah, seems legit makes the whole rear end swap. It's pricey. But um Yeah, we were we were gonna do that, but at that time everything was back ordered by like three or four months. And this was between rounds. So we were like, Oh, we gotta do a change, you know, mm-hmm. get four four axles in one weekend. <laughs> like, all right, let me get the axles, let me get mm-hmm. the differential. Couldn't get it from anywhere. So we ended up doing the M3 because it was a direct right. drop. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, I wanted to <laughs> mention how you got to take the opportunity to attend Fuel Fest, drive Fuel Fest. And what's unique about your experience from what I witnessed is that it's not only you driving your car, but then also seeing somebody else driving what's also part of your car as well, because you've you shared this build together with uh, Charles, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, with the BMW. So, but you were also using the BMW for cluster gears and you've had to share things. So it's like, so we go, oh, there's Randy. Oh wait, that's not Randy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah. I, I think what one of the questions that, that comes to mind when seeing it is that does it, make it easier for you to to tandem because you're familiar with the car 
you know, inside and out. Like you already know like how it reacts, mm. how it behaves, the power band and everything. So is it easier for you to tandem with it or is it still sort of a bit of a learning curve because you're having to kind of like work uh, from the driving that Charles is, is doing? So ultimately it's going to be the driver behind the wheel uh, that's going to determine how I tandem. The car itself is mechanically sound and good and everything was uh, solid. The only problem was I didn't get to drive the car after we made a lot of changes for the last round that we didn't drive. So Charles had never driven the car prior to that. He had done a couple pulls up and down the road. And then Fuel Fest was his first outing mm. on the car. And from lap one, he was killing it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't driven in years. And first lap out, he's he's linking the track, he's throwing down wide open throttle. He has a little bit of modulation on throttle that I need to fix. I just need to stay <laughs> flat foot about the entire time. But uh, yeah, I think um, honestly, if we would have had more laps together, that would have been you would have seen closer tandems and more kind of aggressive driving. At least from my side, Charles is kind of building up to that confidence um, in a chase aspect. But he still chased me, you know. But some some air gap. But uh. Yeah, that event was interesting for the 240 that time, too. Hmm. Was it strange Different. going back into the 240? Because prior to that, it was just all the uh, the BMW, right? Uh, yeah, for the year before, it was the BMW. I can't remember if I did any small events with the 240. But uh, like I said earlier, I took a lot of the 240 and improvements that I want to do the 240 and applied it to the BMW. One of the issues that I have with the 240 is the steering is very inconsistent. Kind of like the pressure modulates too much. So it's either really stiff or like pretty smooth. And I've just realized that I've driven through that for a very long time. Yeah. So when I went back to the 240, the first lap out, the differential blew up. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> 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 and it was like, it wasn't even on the turn or anything. It was like on the run up. So I was like, okay. Here's my chance. First gear, differential blows up. I'm like, so we spent a couple hours fixing it. But on the first lap that I actually got to complete through the track, it was weird because the steering felt light. I was expecting it to be heavy. And then it felt heavy, and I was expecting it to stay somewhat mm -hmm. consistent. And during this entire time that I haven't driven from the last clutch kickers to the Fuel Fest, I had been driving on a sim, which yeah. is like, the perfect world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at one point I was like, I don't even know what's going on anymore, you know, but it slowly like started to make more sense. Just the feel of the steering again. But yeah, it, it feels weird jumping from seat to seat only because the 240 has inconsistencies that I need to fix. Hmm. Do you think, I, I think I noticed that with, uh, I think front rack cars and then the E46 is a front rack. Right, so and the yeah. the E30 was a front rack. I felt like going from the E30 that I used to drive now to an, uh, the G35. The G35 is very much that way as well. It's 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 smooth at some points and then just hard at other points because it's the rear rack. It's got to be yeah. because it's rear rack, I assume. Um, the front racks seem much smoother. At least that's my experience. Yeah, when you say front and rear rack, like. Are you talking about like the positioning so of positioning the positioning between uh, yeah. the, the center point of the front axle? So, the the a lot of the Nissans are all the rack is behind the the front wheels. Oh, okay, I get you. And the BMWs have the rack in front of the front wheels. The actually the newest Wise Fab kit for the for the 240s actually moves yep. it in front. Oh. so they redo all the geometry to move your tie, tie rod point to the front of the knuckle instead of the back which i guess makes the steering smoother i don't know if you heard do you have anybody that know you know anybody that has it uh there's a couple of people that have it i don't know if it's only because of that because i've seen you know rear rack setups function properly mm -hmm. i think honestly it's a power steering pump and just the mix of an old rack old tired rack that's yeah it could be that yeah losing pressure in some you know, especially at some of these locks. So I have the FDF, um, FDF, FDF angle kit on my car, and 
you know, when you get to lock, you start putting a lot of pressure and loads on the steering rack. And if it's old and tired, it's, I'm sure it's going to start, you know, seeping out or leaking the pressure mm-hmm. out. Um, and then the pump is going to be struggling as well. So BMW, we have electric power steering. So it's a consistent pressure mm-hmm. and it's just whatever varying load. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if just the positioning makes a difference, but I do know that, um, we try and move our steering rack as far forward as possible, which I did on the 240, just because of the fact that the offset rack spacers kill the rack a lot faster because of the side loads that mm-hmm. you get on it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just better to have just direct input to the steering rack and as, as straight as mm-hmm. possible. So I think on the forward side, you're clearing a lot of the... Uh, what do you have to do? So with a Jay-Z, you have to run a rear sump if you want that front mount uh, steering rack on the yeah, 240. Yeah, well, I have to do it on the E46, too. Well, yeah, because E46 is rear, oh, rear yeah. sump. Yeah. 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 So you're already there. but hmm. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I noticed the difference because I, I have the WiseFab kit that moves your, moves your rack forward on my, on my G35. So I have all that, and and you know the only yeah. difference between the two cars because they both were they were both were power steering pumps. The only difference I noticed, well, I mean the only difference that is is the, the actual feel. Um, but then again, I know people that say they have their like like Gabriel says his his steering is smooth, but he also runs like eight caster nine degrees of caster. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of caster. Um. I think the other reason for moving it forward that far is because of the fact that you can use a BMW mm-hmm. rack. From what I understand on the Y-Swing oh really kit. okay that's nice for the two forty yeah I, I believe so I think there's an adapter and all that stuff where you can run it hmm. in the front. I think that was another purpose that exists, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know why they moved it all the way to the front though. Whatever happened to manual racks? They were all the rage back in the day, <laughs> and now everyone's it's like long forgotten. No one's talking Everybody about wants it. Electric Nobody's power mentioning steering. it. Uh, no one's advocating for it. I mean, it's not even in the lexicon of everyone's vocabulary anymore. <laughs> everyone's all about Wisefab this, so, angle kit that. Uh, put the rack somewhere here and over there because <laughs> now hide the rack in the back. Where's gonna be rear mounted rack? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Steering by wire. <laughs> steering by wire. What, I, I, what's going on? Yeah. What, what, I, I think. Uh, I think one of the big differences is you know you have a steering wheel that's like this power assisted versus a steering wheel that's like this on a manual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Semi truck wheel. Yeah. Or you have a trade off <laughs> of three hundred turns to make the half turn that it takes with power yeah. steering. So I think all of it comes into play. Where you want to make small adjustments versus small adjustments. <laughs> Some people yeah. do that anyways. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's funny. Mm. When you go out to these events, do you still kind of like ask yourself, oh, I, I could really help that person out? Or do you just be like, well, let me, he looks like he's having a party inside the car. Let's leave him alone. Let's leave him alone. Uh, I did do a couple of uh, the instructor days at OSW, oh. and those are the situations where people are like openly, you know, putting it out there that they want to learn, and that's why they have the instructor. I try not to uh, tell people like, "Hey, you should be, you know, adjusting this." If they don't want to hear it, if they're doing their own thing, go for it. It just looks a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> But if I'm like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, hey, man, I can't figure this out. And they want to learn. Then I'll, I'll like 100% you know, share knowledge or like what they should focus on or just little details. Hmm. Have you uh, ever thought about like getting on a pro team as far as like helping out or, or, or doing anything with a program in order to kind of build that knowledge? Because with a lot of people we talk to do that, that have uh, – that have kind of built their way mm-hmm. up, like um, I think Jonathan Nairnan did that, and it was a couple mm-hmm. of the people Brandon McDowell, Brandon McDowell, yeah, Brandon McDowell as well. Yeah. So that's something you ever thought so about? So I've actually, yeah, so I've actually started that process. I'm helping uh, 
Bill Mitchell. Billy oh, Mitchell. awesome! Yeah, we interviewed. Yeah, we interviewed Billy Mitchell a while ago. Yeah. So he is getting into the uh, more competitive side of driving now and starting to drive like 50k shootouts. Um, he was going to do the U.S. Drift Circuit, but didn't end up making that event. But I went to the 50k shootout with him this last round, and um, so I was a mechanic, and we had uh, another mechanic with us, and Freddie, who's the tuner for the car, who also has a vast amount of knowledge in the Formula Drift side of things because he's been yeah. around for so long. So it's just been kind of a, a learning experience altogether, just kind of how much it takes to be competitive, yeah. how much financial strain it takes <laughs> to be competitive. Exactly. Um, and just, I mean, it's, it's always a learning experience, but I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been slowly kind of getting into that side. And now because of my flight benefits and all that stuff, it's more feasible for me to go to these random places and just, you know, go for the weekend and help out and do whatever. That's cool. That's awesome. Billy's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Billy's a good guy. And he's, he hasn't, he's came out on like out of nowhere. He started getting into the clutch kickers and just right away we could see that and anyway, a couple, some, couple times I saw him at some of the uh, U.S. Drift Circuit practice events, and um, he just seems like he's taken very naturally to it, even the competition side. But he comes from a racing background, drag, so yeah, he was able to utilize that. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever? Did you ever before drifting? Did you ever do any type of um, competition sports at all, like motocross or anything? No, my uh, introduction to drifting was the only motorsport that I really did. Mm-hmm. It was like. Drifting. Yeah, like a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of Florida people. That's how we all got, yeah. got into this was all through drifting. Yeah. Have so. you been going to drift events over there in Texas at all? Uh, honestly, no. It's kind of like one of those you don't want to go to the events when you don't have your car because you feel mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I know that feeling. Like there. Yeah, so Dallas is a good center for drifting. So you have Lone Star drifting. And you have uh, a calendar that basically has like a four-hour radius of events that you can go to, and I've I've looked at them, but I never went to them. Um, I've been following Formula Drift around, so I've gone to every round this year so far, um, and I think I might try and go to Houston for like one of the like mm-hmm. fun events that they have down there, just to go hang out because i've just been in my apartment (laughs) 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 not really not really i've been traveling around so i'm just kind of just going everywhere i can Hmm. is it do you see a future where you bring your car over to texas i mean does texas seem like it's gonna be a a permanent place for mr randy so mr randy is thinking about it um it's initially this was me figuring out kind of um you know is, is this a position that i'm going to enjoy and it's turning out to be a yes and a position that i can grow in was a really big question for me and that's another question that was answered is yes mm-hmm. so with those two being yes and because of texas being so vast there's a lot of opportunity for you to be able to find land and a house and all yeah. that stuff with the reasonable price range compared mm. to florida where florida was oof yeah, you know it's a peninsula. You're getting pushed up all all along yeah. the edges of where the cities are populated, mm-hmm. and everything's just pushing up. Florida uh, Palm Beach is what Fort Lauderdale mm-hmm. was. Now, uh, Port St. Lucie is what Palm Beach was. It's just all pushing up, so it's getting harder for me to envision a future staying yeah. in Florida, where it's in the same south uh, mm-hmm. uh, South Florida area. Um, and because of my job, it's based here in Dallas. This is ultimately where i would like to end my career so it's kind of just going to be in dallas Hmm. so likely yes i will be staying here for good um but my end goal is to have a house with a shop space Mm -hmm. and have my tools and car and just kind of go off all right so as far as the um the breathe free is that still you're still going along with doing that um the whole thing yeah, yeah. So 
a long time ago, I never caged a 240 because I didn't want to cage it and make it a car that was at risk of, you know, tandem mm-hmm. and crashing and all that stuff. Then I started easing into it. Going into clutch kickers was like, okay, you know, I'm driving more serious now, doing all this, but I didn't need a cage, so everything was still good. And then next round of clutch kickers came around. That's why the BMW really mm-hmm. started. Um, so I didn't want to put the 240 at risk. But now it's gotten to the point where I can't drive the 240 in most of these places without a cage because of the insurance and because of you know other regulations. Yeah. So now it's turning into, or I can't even bring a passenger if I don't mm-hmm. have a cage. So now it's turning into, I want the, BM, the 240 to remain as its intentional, like intended purpose of bringing awareness okay. and being able to do you know, expos and kind of uh, uh, ride-alongs and fundraisers and all that stuff. So I'm going to try and cage it at okay. some point and rewire the entire car. So Breathe Free is never going anywhere. That's kind of who mm-hmm. I am and who I um, have tried to build for so long. Not just me, but kind of my purpose is what I'm chasing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's never, it's never going to end. Um, I'm in fact trying to do, uh, the virtual side of things now, because obviously my situation is different now. Mm. I'm more readily available on PC right. and stuff. <laughs> so a set of courses has been my normal place now. Okay. And, uh, yeah, All right. starting to try and push into that side of things. Good deal. Uh, well, we've kind of kept you quite a while, even though we've only been talking on the show for about an hour, we've had <laughs> you probably for about a little over two and a half hours. So I'm going to go and uh, let you go. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's okay. We ended up getting figured out. But um, thank you so much for your time, Randy. I really appreciate just uh, just being able to watch you develop as a driver and do some crazy stuff. And then watching you, like I said, still my favorite battle of all time was that Clutch Giggers battle between you and Alec. Um, so we look forward to more memories right maybe just online right now but hopefully next season we'll see you back behind the wheel and getting in uh back in the competition ben you have something yeah and i just wanted to add that just uh, every time that when we were at clutch shakers we're like either with the camera or mm-hmm. just going around with it and randy would just go out of his way to jump mm-hmm. in it was like as, yeah. as crazy as it was we always enjoyed it yeah. uh that he was pop in and kind of give us an update as to what's going on even though he had he was uh, quick to the point and wouldn't really elaborate with things, but still, it was still that's Randy that we love. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Randy. And uh, like I said, look forward. To, next time we're out in Texas, maybe we'll see you at LS Fest next year. Yeehaw! You can come out and, and say hello and hang yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I'll be back in Florida a couple times this year. Well, yeah, so. hit us up. I'll see. Sounds you like a plan. Yeah. All right, Randy. Thank you so All much, right, man. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye.